Well, hello there. I think you might want to pull up a chair. Boy, this is something else. I have a fresh cup of coffee here. I'll try not to jangle the quarters or bang the thing around. The kiddos are across the street playing right now. I once had somebody ask me if it didn't disturb me being across the street from elementary school. <laughs> At first, I thought the person was joking, right? I mean, who would be disturbed about the sound of children, right? <laughs> so, anyhow, this is something else today that I need to share with you. It is about plutonium. And uh, let me play this clip. And I also have a lot more data about Lula. Lula... <laughs> Lula's life sounds more like a telenovela. That would be a soap opera in Spanish. So first, um, yeah, plutonium is something else. Uh, well, way something else. And I stuck, stumbled across plutonium because there was a big facility right next door in Colorado. I'm in Nebraska making plutonium. They got shut down. And of course that site is now a site of people's homes on top of all these plutonium things. Yeah, they never they never miss a trick to save some money now, do they? Um, who cares if the land's contaminated? Let's build some property in Colorado. <laughs> so, let me not wander too far. First, let's play this clip about plutonium. Because it's it's really, it boggled my mind. So, let's go here dangerous metal on earth and we've made a video about it but on the periodic table there is another element that's two steps forward he was talking about uranium being the most dangerous and this is the reason why I'm recording the show today because actually they have something even bigger in store for us and it is plutonium <laughs> so let's have him continue on here by the name of plutonium Uranium can be found in nature, but you can't find plutonium in nature because it's man-made. When you look at the table of elements, you see different elements that have been discovered in this year or that year. But plutonium wasn't discovered, but it was made in 1940. What does plutonium even look like? This is how it looks like. Silver, like a lot of other metals, but extremely dangerous. One of the reasons is that it's used in nuclear weapons, and the other reason that it's extremely radioactive. And it is also known as one of the most radioactive metals on Earth. When they were building the first nuclear weapon in Los Alamos, New Mexico, basically the Manhattan Project, which we made a video about, they were making plutonium to put in the atomic bombs. Basically, from what I can understand, is what pl plutonium really does is that it creates a much faster reactor, okay? It just speeds up the process and makes it more unstable. They knew that this metal is extremely radioactive, and they would work on them in those laboratory glove boxes. But unfortunately, one day, one scientist was working on plutonium, but his glove had a little hole, and a tiny amount of plutonium touched his hand, and he immediately pulls out his hand. He gets very stressed and worries that he touched plutonium and it's all over. When the doctors ran some tests, they noticed that the plutonium is in his blood, but he didn't get sick because you weren't exposed to it for long. Throughout his life, he would always get blood tests 
not sick or have cancer. But in all tests, plutonium was found in his blood, but he never got sick. The plutonium, even 50 years after the incident, was still in his blood. But the doctors believe that if he was exposed a little bit longer, he would have gone sick or had cancer and would have died way sooner than 50 years. But the amount was minimal and it didn't bother. Poor guy was stressed all his life because of this. How is plutonium even made? You guys know those fuel rods in the nuclear reactor, right? We talked about them in our uranium video. The plutonium comes from the nuclear reactor rods. As you guys know, uranium's atomic number is 92. And uranium turns into plutonium, which has an atomic number of 94. But the uranium that turns into plutonium is uranium-238. If we want to put it in simple terms, it's basically uranium-238 capturing neutrons and turning into plutonium-239. Plutonium is a very dense and hard metal. Machining this type of metal is extremely hard because it's such a stiff metal that it breaks easily. And to create nuclear weapons, it has to be machined. And they use it to create a sphere of plutonium for the atomic bombs. This metal with this high of a density melts very quickly, so the melting point is very low. 639 degrees Celsius to be exact. And for a metal with this type of density, it's extremely low. Let's compare it to iridium, one of the densest metal in the world. But its melting point is 2446 degrees centigrade. So plutonium is extremely weak towards heat. As you guys know, we talked about osmium in our iridium video. Iridium is very dense, but osmium is a little bit more dense. Osmium's melting point is more than 3000 degrees centigrade. But let's get back to plutonium. Plutonium is so radioactive that it literally gives off heat. You're not supposed to touch it, but if you were to touch it, you would feel a hot piece of metal. When plutonium starts to decay, it gives off helium. So if there is an old piece of plutonium in a container, there will be helium gas around it. And when it's giving off helium, it's basically making the metal weaker and weaker. You could kind of compare it to metal rusting. And that is why when plutonium is used in places like this, they have to make sure it's perfect. Another thing that makes plutonium extremely dangerous is dealing with plutonium waste. To do this, there has to be a specific container that could handle a lot of pressure. If it's not like that, it will explode. As you remember, plutonium gives off helium and it creates pressure in a container. If the walls of a container is weak, it will blow it up and radioactive waste will go everywhere. Alphimatic, a UK chemist, was working on the atomic bomb during World War II. And at that time, he only had access to about 10 milligrams of plutonium. And unfortunately, he spills that 10 milligrams of plutonium on the desk. Obviously, he gets bummed out. 
not because there's dangerous material on his desk, but he wasted all the plutonium they had access to, and they needed it for the bomb. How is he gonna collect it back? He immediately brings a handsaw and cuts the table around the plutonium, and he puts it in a furnace. He puts a container underneath it and sets it on fire. He basically burned the wood so the plutonium gets separated from the wood. He separated the ash, and he once again had the plutonium he needed. By doing this, he loses half a milligram of plutonium, so he had about nine and a half milligrams left. The science lab realized what he has done, but they didn't do anything with him, and they understood that he had to do that. It's good to know that when they're working on plutonium, it's in liquid form. And it's also good to know that plutonium gives off a light, and just like other radioactive metals, it looks very cool in the dark. Yeah, that's great to know. It's kind of like those watches that glow in the dark at night. But there's no plutonium in these watches. They use a gas called tritium, which comes from hydrogen, and it glows in the dark. But let's learn where the name plutonium came from. If you remember in the uranium video, we said the name came from the planet Uranus. After Uranus, there's a planet <laughs> called Neptune. And on the periodic table, after uranium, there is an element called Neptunium. And after Neptune, you realize a... this all goes back to their Saturn deal, right? Your anus. <laughs> it just. <laughs> well, is your anus a joke when they're frying us up with radiation? I don't know. The dwarf planet called Pluto. And we made a video on why it was fired from the solar system. But at that time, this dwarf planet was considered a planet. And that is why they named the metal plutonium. Obviously, you can't buy and sell plutonium, but either way, it should be bought and sold somewhere, especially between governments. To get one gram of plutonium, you have to spend about $4,000. Because we said plutonium does not belong in nature, you have to turn uranium to plutonium, and that is why it's extremely expensive. In our video about iridium, we said this metal is one of the most expensive metals on earth. But plutonium is way more expensive. But you can't buy plutonium like you can buy iridium. Which brings me to my point today. Boy, am I just a bear of good news or what? <laughs> well, there's been a big push to get more plutonium. Funny thing, huh? Let me... um. Well, <laughs> all I was doing was, um, I don't know, I was over wandering around Yandex, Y-A-N-D-E-X dot com, and I ran into this plutonium business, and hang on for a second here, because I need to let him out and kind of undo some of these cords. Okay, give me one second. Yeah, I just ran into um, plutonium. And I thought, well, why were they making plutonium here in Colorado? <laughs> I mean, here in the next state being Colorado. Give me one second here. Give me one second, honey. I'm coming. Okay. 
I have to do everything but unplug the microphone. Yeah, here we go, sweetie. Come on, let's go. He is like my canary in the um, thing when they're gassing the house with different things from that transformer. And they're getting rather anxious to get rid of me. Um, he can tell, and he's my first sign because some of the stuff they're pumping into here is odorless, so I can't always tell, but when I look at him and then I realize that I'm feeling the same way. Okay, hang on one second here. Okay, sweetie, come on, let's go. Anyway, so, um, okay. Okay, I made it. Nothing got disconnected. Okay, so, where was I? Um, yeah, so I was wandering around Yandex and, um, trying to figure out... I ran into this place. Let me let me dig up the file here because I'm start. I don't want to start wandering here. Okay. There was this. There's this effort to confuse us, and I'm just going to go down this. I, I did kind of a general overview, okay. And I don't want to forget to then. I'll probably do a separate segment about the Lula stuff. It's like a telenovela. Telenovela is what they call soap operas in Latin countries, okay. I swear. Several murdered people, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff with that Lula story. Anyway, so, there was a, I was wandering around over on, um, and I'll get to the Rocky Flats here in a second. I'm just a little bit too fuzzed out to try to reorganize. There was a 1953 memo from a person named Gordon Dean, who was very, he was at the time the chairman of the AEC. And he had met with Eisenhower. And this quote was, the president says, keep them confused about fission and fusion. Another of many examples of what we were and not have been supposed to know about nuclear power. Fission and fusion are two types of nuclear reactors that produce energy, but are very different processes. Fission is the splitting of a heavy, unstable nucleus into two lighter nuclei, while fusion is the process where two light nuclei combine together, releasing vast amounts of energy. Fission reactions are difficult to control and produce mainly... Excuse me. Fission reactors are difficult to control and produce many highly radioactive particles. So fission is what they're going for, right? It's out of control, higher to produce, right? So then I was wandering around and there is a place in this country called Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, okay? And I, I, I found several things about this, and I, I got them, I didn't, I just gathered the data. Some of them actually came from over on Yandex, um, the Sputnik, <laughs> the Russian news agency, had a big piece, 
for very recently, like in the last, oh, I don't know, year to maybe six months, uh, about their data that they're gathering about the U.S. making plutonium, okay? Because what they have to do is make it, okay? And that's where I wandered into that Rocky Flats place in Colorado, which was the last place they were making this plutonium, okay? So, they have this place called the National Ignition Facility at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, where the fusion experiment was conducted. And it is not generating electricity or even finding a way to do so. National Ignition Facility, or NIF, was set up as part of the science-based stockpile stewardship program, which was the ransom paid to the U.S. nuclear weapons laboratories for foregoing the right to test after the United States signed the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. So something's going on at this facility, right? It was set up National Ignition Facility, right? So this person's article went on to say NIF might even help with developing new kinds of nuclear weapons. There we go, bingo, right? And the person went on to say the tremendous media attention paid to NIF and ignition and, and NIF and ignition amounts to a distraction and a dangerous one at that. As the history of nuclear fusion since the 1950s shows, this complicated technology is not going to produce cheap and reliable electricity to light light bulbs or power computers anytime in the foreseeable future. But nuclear fusion falls even shorter when we consider climate change and the need to cut carbon. In the meanwhile, nuclear fusion experiments like those at NIF will further the risk posed by the nuclear arsenal of the United States and indirectly the arsenals of eight other countries known to possess nuclear weapons. The world has been lucky so far to avoid nuclear war. Well, we know that's all a lie. The lie is that they're doing this to for nuclear war amongst nations, right? But I believe it's as a nuclear war against us citizens, right? But this luck would not hold up forever. We need nuclear weapons abolition, but programs like NIF offer nuclear weapons modernization, which is just a means to assure destruction forever. So these people are nosing around. They're saying, hey, wait a minute. What's going on at Lawrence Livermore is absolutely not about getting power, right? So, okay. Um, and they had this report, and I'm just going to really only say a few things about it because I was trying to figure out is plutonium more dangerous than uranium, right? So basically they've taken uranium and made it more um, dangerous, okay? So, um, and Adams Nucleus displays radio, uh, wait a minute, let, let me make sure this doesn't get more complicated here, but. Well, the bottom line was, due to its higher radioactivity, plutonium is more hazardous than uranium, okay? 
And then I found this quote. It said, the fusion breakthrough that the U.S. Department of Energy announced this week is scientifically significant. But the significance relates to the monitoring of the country's nuclear weapons stockpile, not to clean electricity generation. So obviously this Sputnik news thing from Russia <laughs> is saying, hey, don't be tricked. They're really not using this to make electricity, right? And it was actually a pretty good article, so I had some other clips here about it. So due to the Cold War, the U.S. produced 1,000 to 2,000 pits per year at the Rocky Flats plant outside Denver, Colorado. The pits now in U.S. nuclear warheads were almost all fabricated there during the 1980s. So all the pits from most U.S. nuclear warheads were fabricated there. Just a car drive away from where I'm living. <laughs> if the trains don't get me, the nuclear warfare will, okay? And it went on to say, the plant was a public hazard. However, because of its releases of highly carcinogenic particles of plutonium oxide, as a result of plutonium fires and the plant's waste disposal practices. In 1989, with the end of the Cold War, Rocky Flats was shut down in a joint effort by the Environmental Protection Agency and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Must have been something else that they shut it down, right? Well, they're back to their old tricks because um, I hope this encourages you to look further because right there where Rocky Flats is are just tons of new real estate developments. Never let a good disaster hold them down when it comes to making more money. Okay, so, um, so 1989 they said was the end of the Cold War, okay? So they shut down Rocky Flats. Three years later, the U.S. also stopped underground explosive tests of nuclear warheads, bringing to an end the development of generations of ever more compact, high-yield warheads. Post-Cold War arms control agreements reduced the U.S. stock of operational warheads from more than 22,000 at the end of 1989, when the Berlin Wall fell, to fewer than 4,000 at the end of 2021 almost all designed to be deployed on U.S. long-range strategic ballistic missiles and bombers. So what they're saying is, at the end of the Cold War, the agreement was they had 22,000 at the end of 1989, and then they had 4,000 at the end of 2021. But, you know, we don't know that these are all being used for bombers and missiles, right? These people think it's being used for bombers and missiles. I think it's being used for citizen removal, right? Three decades later, the pits in U.S. nuclear warheads have a reach about 40 years of age. Experts from Los Alamos and Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories annually examine sample pits from each type of warhead, both non-destructively and destructively. They continue to find their internal surfaces pristine and the aging plutonium metal metal is not becoming significantly less strong or more brittle. So they keep doing these tests, right? In addition, they have been, they have all these satellite pictures and stuff. The Russians do over that. Um, Sputnik is their um, newspaper. Okay, in addition, they have been examining pits from older, retired Cold War warheads, and since 20, 2002 have been doing accelerating aging test. 
Nevertheless, the Pentagon and Congress have become increasingly anxious. What would the United States do without a production capacity if a problem should emerge with the existing pits? See, this is the big thing. That thing in um, the place in Colorado, Rocky Flats, was about making these plutonium pits, okay? Plutonium pits are the man-made, next more vicious generation from nuclear, right? Plutonium basically is the after step. They use all these dangerous after things like that fluoride and stuff, right? So, in 2006, Congress instructed the Department of Energy, or DOE, to focus on producing pits in Los Alamos National Laboratory's large plutonium facility, and they said they have other plutonium-related missions, however, including extracting plutonium from old pits and fabricating PU-238 heat sources for space missions. See, they're saying that a lot of this stuff is plutonium is being used for their space missions. Well, if you take out the fact that the space missions are fa are false, they're not really doing space missions. So then, then the story starts to really fall to pieces now, doesn't it? So the article goes on to say, after allowing room for those other missions and production support functions, the word you're looking for is NNSA, found in 2017 that only 19,500 square feet remained available for pit production. Congress also lost confidence in this pit being the sole pit site after Los Alamos struggled for years to produce even small amounts of pits there and then shut down major plutonium operations for more than three years after safety infractions in 2013. So then they have this other project they're looking at for these pits, okay, for this plutonium. The Savannah River site became the leading candidate for a second pit, production pit after a plutonium disposal project failed there. In 2001, NNSA had, had given the Savannah Riverside the mission of fabricating excess cold water plutonium into mixed oxide, or MOX, M-O-X, plutonium uranium pool fuel for U.S. power reactors. The completion schedule for the MOX, MOX fuel fabrication facility slipped steadily and its cost escalated drastically. Congress finally termina terminated the MOX facility after NNSA had spent nearly $6 billion on its construction. Under political pressure from most of South Carolina's congressional delegation, however, the Trump administration endorsed a plan to convert the MOX facility into a pit production facility. So now that you know the key words, the world opens up. What you're looking for is MOX, okay? And it's also pit production was my new key word for this week. And so then they had some other satellite pictures. They had pictures of a MOX fuel production facility in May 2010, um, showing the complexity. And um, then, the, then the article wanted to say, are new warhead designs really needed? 
Ever since U.S. nuclear testing ended in 1992, NNSA's nuclear weapon laboratories have been putting forward proposals to replace some of the existing U.S. warhead types with new designs. The labs have developed great expertise in computer modeling of nuclear weapon processes and now feel confident. So we're going from computer modeling to <laughs> real time. This is just really reassuring now, isn't it? Uh, to improve the warheads and certify them. For two decades, the Pentagon and Congress have been increasingly concerned that the United States does not have a reliable capability to produce plutonium pits, the cores of U.S. thermonuclear warheads. In 2018, the agency responsible for the production and maintenance of U.S. nuclear warheads, the National Nuclear Security Administration, NNSA, responded with a plan to build on a crash basis pit production lines in New Mexico and South Carolina at the same time with a combined production capacity of 80 pits per year. So let me see here, 2018 they're in a rush to build more pits. One of the production lines is an advanced state of, excuse me, one of the production lines, let me just make sure, I'm not sure I didn't, okay. One of the production lines is in an advanced state of installation at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, the home of U.S. pit production expertise. The other is to be installed at the Department of Energy's Savannah River site, SRS in South Carolina. See, that threw me off for a while because I was thinking Savannah, Georgia, right? <laughs> Tricky dogs there, right? So the other is to be installed at the Department of Energy Savannah Riverside, also known as SRS in South Carolina, where there is no pit production expertise in a massive building that the Department of Energy built for another purpose and was then forced to abandon because of huge cost overruns. I'm continuing to quote from Sputnik. South Carolina's congressional delegation, led by Senator Lindsey Graham, <coughs> excuse me, successfully prevailed on the Trump administration to repurpose this $6 billion building, once known as Mixed Oxide Fuel Fabrication Facility, and intended to downblend surplus military plutonium for use as commercial reactor fuel to plutonium pit production. <clears throat> History is repeating itself, however. The NNSA's cost estimate for using the Savannah River facility, not in Savannah, but in South Carolina, to manufacture warhead pits has already risen from 3.6 billion in 2017 for an 80 pit per year production capacity to 11.1 billion for a 50 pit per year capacity in 2023. Big goals kind of falling short, right? Well, this is what happens when you design dangerous things to, uh, well, I don't know, with using computer modeling, right? <laughs> uh, 
I'll go on to read. The NNSA's rationale for its ambitious pit production program is to say the least questionable. The a I love these Sputnik people. The agency proposes to first build 800 pits for new U.S. intercontinental ballistic missile warheads, which would be needed only if the U.S. decides to increase the number of warheads on each missile from one to three. Previous U.S. administrations have considered such uploading destabilizing. So, yeah, uh, after producing the warheads, the NNSA plans to replace all these other ones. So, there was also concern about, but I don't believe that they're being done for a while, these things, right? There's all, they go on to say there's also another concern about the NSA's plan. The designs of new warheads in which new plutonium pits would be used may depart from designs that have been previously tested. This could result in demands to resume explosive testing, which would undermine the moratorium on nuclear testing that has been observed by all nuclear weapon states other than North Korea since 1998. You mean to say the Russians are thinking the U.S. might do testing and be outside of this restriction? Well, goes on to say, given these questionable production plans and the already out-of-control costs and schedule of the Savannah River pit production facility, and because the remaining life expectancy of the pits in current U.S. warheads is at least 60 years and perhaps much longer, we propose, this is the Russians talking, not me, that the Savannah River facility be put on hold and that the Los Alamos programs be focused, oh no, somebody else wrote this, not the Russians, okay. What they're proposing is that the Savannah River be put on hold and the Los Alamos program be focused on demonstrating reliable production of 10 to 20 pits per year. Such a demonstration demonstration production line would establish that the United States has the capacity to produce pits and would reduce the time required to build additional production lines if stated. The NSA should also renew research programs. Yeah, they should do a lot of things, right? But this is part of the plan, not the bug in the system. Um, it went on to say, um, before the NSA cut back, cut back this aging pit, this pit aging research program, the weapons laboratories estimated that the existing pits had expected functional lives of 100 to 150 until at least 28. Well, they don't, they don't know anything about that, so I'm not going to, um, pits are the hollow core plutonium cores of the fission primaries. They make those things go faster and harder. Okay, um, in the USA, the early 1970s objectives of developing a plutonium economy were derailed in the 1976 presidential campaign, and as a result, fuel reprocessing to recover and recycle plutonium was banned until 2005, and fast reactor commercialization was aborted. So, um, apart from its formation in today's nuclear reactors, plutonium 
was formed by the operation of naturally occurring nuclear reactors in uranium deposits. I don't know. Um, and then you might want to note the, they, the last of Savannah River's inventory was transferred to Idaho National Laboratory in 2008. This was essentially Cold War origin, which I, I don't know. What, what happens is um, currently the supplies of purity. So what they're saying uh, that this stuff is very scarce, that's why they're trying to propose all of these new facilities, right? Since the early 1990s, after production ceased at Savannah River, in 1988, the U.S. was buying all of its supplies for spacecraft from Russia. Yeah, because uh, they were, remember years ago, Hillary Clinton was caught, or I don't know, as part of their foundation, they shipped, I don't remember, uranium or plutonium to Russia, or we got it from Russia, I don't really remember. Um, so, but then, see, this is where, I think it, this is just a cover story, right? Um, they're not using it for electricity. Um, so, um, I found that this thing that says plutonium-238 has powered some 30 U.S. space vehicles and enabled the Voyager 1 and 2 spacecraft to send back pictures of distant planets. Well, all the space stuff is being done by people sitting there at their computers, right? Using computer-generated art. So it went on to say, these spacecraft have operated for over 35 years and are expected to send back signals. I don't know. The Cassini spacecraft carried three generations of 33 kilos of plutonium oxide there. So they're saying that that Cassini spacecraft shipped a whole lot of plutonium oxide um, as it orbited around Saturn. It haven't taken seven years to get there. So, I don't know. There's a lot to look for here, okay? Because plutonium-238 is made by ira irradiating neptunium-237, recovered from research reactor fuel or special targets in research reactor. So they get this stuff by their own little tools, right? So um, currently supplies of high purity PU-238 are scarce. Okay, so um, let me see here. In February 2017, Ontario Power Generations and its venture arm, Canadian Nuclear Partners, announced plans to produce PU-238 for space exploration at the Darlington Nuclear Power Plant and signed a contract for this with NASA. <laughs> so, uh, well, if I believe that space was real, then I'd have a harder time believing that plutonium was to murder the rest of us, right? But since space isn't real, why are they saying that they're shipping all of this plutonium around, right? Um, currently supplies are scarce, um, buying all of its supply for spacecraft from Russia. That is not, this is just not adding up, though, is it? 
Okay. Um, and then there was this thing about plutonium and weapons. Well, they also use um, plutonium in pacemakers and stuff like that, but too weedy to get into right now, okay? Um, so, yeah, somehow they're shipping this stuff around. Somehow. Likely why they have train lines, right? Um, plutonium and weapons. It takes about 10 kilograms of nearly pure PU-239 to make a bomb, though the Nagasaki bomb in 1945 used less. Producing this requires 30 megawatt years of reactor operation with frequent fuel changes and reprocessing the hot fuel. Hence, weapons-grade plutonium is made in special production reactors by burning natural uranium fuel to the extent of only about a hundred, effect, effectively three months, instead of the much longer time. So they're figuring out a way to do this in that nuclear place, right? Allowing the fuel to stay longer in the reactor increases the concentration of the higher isotopes of plutonium in particular. So there's something here to look into. So um, the operational requirements of power reactors and plutonium production reactors are quite different. And so therefore is their design. No weapons material has ever been produced. An explosive device could be made from plutonium extracted from low burn-up reactor fuel. But any significant proportions of PU-240 in it would make it hazardous to the bomb makers as well as probably unreliable and unpredictable. Typically, reactor-grade plutonium recovered from reprocessing used power reactor fuel has about one-third non-fusion isotopes. So what they're saying is that they're getting this from this um, reactor-grade plutonium, right? It says right here, recovered from reprocessed used power reactor fuel. Well, that says to me, <laughs> used power reactor fuel, right? <laughs> In the UK, the Magnox reactors were designed for the dual purpose of generating commercial electricity as well as being able to produce plutonium for the country's defense programs. A report released by the UK's Ministry of Defense says that both the Calder Hall and the Chapel Cross power stations, which started up in 1956 and 1958 retrospectively, were operated on this basis. So right here, I just read to you, <laughs> they said these plants were for electricity, and I have said they were not for electricity. The government confirmed in April 1995 that production of plutonium for defense purposes had deceased in the 1960s at these two stations, which are both now permanently shut down. The other UK Magnavox reactors are civil stations subjected to full international safeguards. 
So you still have some of these hanging around the UK there, okay? Okay. And I'll try not to laugh about this part. International safeguard arrangements applied to traded uranium extend to the plutonium arising from this, ensuring constant audits even of reactor grade material. I don't know, that doesn't make sense. International safeguard arrangements applied to traded uranium extend, extend to, so they're saying that whatever they've got covered, uranium also covers for plutonium. This addresses uncertainty as to the weapons proliferation potential of reactor grade plutonium. So what they're saying is, by these laws being in place, it addresses uncertainty. There is no uncertainty that such material can be used to explode, though there is no known occasion. So, yeah, <laughs> well, I don't think there's been any reports of this happening, but it certainly is all the elements are there for it to happen, right? And uh, they have this thing, Polish plutonium as the reactor core. And I don't know enough to really even mumble through that part, okay? Sources of plutonium. Three U.S. reactors are able to fully run fully on MOX. That's that stuff that mixed oxide fuel, okay? Okay. At the end of 2019, France had about 75 tons of separated civil plutonium stored domestically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Japan at the end of 2019 had nine tons of separated civil plutonium stored domestically. Yeah, it's being stored all over the place, from what I can tell. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but in June 20, 2000, the U.S. and Russia agreed to dispose of 34 tons each of weaponized-grade plutonium by 2014. Construction on the mixed oxide fuel, that's MOX, fabrication facility at the Savannah River site near Aiken, A-I-K-E-N, South Carolina, commenced in August 2007. The plant was designed to dispose of 34 tons of weapons-grade plutonium by converting it into MOX fuel, but the U.S. DOE terminated the contract in October 2019 with the facility 70% complete. Early in October 2016, Russia suspended the agreement with the USA. Well, isn't that interesting now? I thought Russia was the enemy. So in 2000, the U.S. and Russia decide to make this MOX, M-O-X facility at the Savannah River, which is really in South Carolina, in August of 27. Now, does this sound like something... Let me let that truck get past. Is this something that you would let your um, worst enemy do? I don't think so. Just like China is making all the U.S. prescriptions that people will soon be running out of, and everybody's going to go, oh, surprise, surprise, I thought we hated China. So why is China making all of our medication? It's the plan, not the bug in the system. Okay. So there are a lot of things about um, they don't know the main threat to humans from Plutonium is inhalation, and this is exactly, let me see if that's going to stop. 
this is exactly what got me with the smart meter business, right? Because what happens, that's what makes it such a great eugenics tool. Because I slipped past the first part of them getting me just because you, you inhale it, right? You absolutely inhale it. And what that does, it goes inside internally to all of your soft tissues, meaning all of your organs. And once it gets inside there, the fun really begins. <laughs> I'm now getting black toes and all kinds of things from this stuff. So yeah, because it comes inside and takes so long to kind of start really getting activated that you really, and, and also at the same time, it makes your mind kind of fuzzy. So you, so you really don't have very good defenses at that point. <laughs> And it also just, there's a lot to put your head around that, hey, somebody is actually hating me so much that they want to murder me. You have to kind of, you have to kind of get past these elements and then you have to decide, yes, yeah, the U.S. government. Okay, um, so because it's inhaling, um, in the 1940s, some 26 workers at U.S. nuclear weapons became contaminated with plutonium. Intensive health checks on these people revealed no certain, but see, I think, remember, they write these things, right? Um, because if you look a little bit further, because they also said that one guy in that clip that I did earlier said he touched a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. I, I hope that guy ended up okay. But it doesn't seem logical to me, right? So do they write these stories about this guy touched it? So in, in your mind, you're kind of implanting the idea that, well, maybe not so dangerous, right? Just like those poor people, where was it in Vietnam that I was talking about with all the um, Agent Orange in Vietnam? They don't really close off those areas, right? So people could still go there and try to fish. And no matter what they're being told, if they can fish and eat the fish and not die the next day, everybody thinks, eh, not so bad, right? So that is really the horrible thing about that. Um, so um, I had all these notes here, but I'm not going to go through many of them. In 1962, a nuclear device using low burn-up plutonium from a UK Magnox reactor was detonated in the U.S. So what they're saying is this, is what they're saying is how can the U.S. be building all these places, right? Um, Plutonium, um, over a third of the energy produced in most nuclear power plants comes from plutonium. It is created in the reactor as a byproduct. So, plutonium recovered from reprocessing normal reactor fuel is recycled as mixed oxide fuel, M-O-X. Plutonium is the principal fuel in a fast neutron reactor, and in any reactor, it is progressively bred, progressively bred, read those words, from non-fissile U-238 <clears throat> that, that comprises over 99% of natural uranium. Plutonium has occurred naturally, but I don't, see here again, this doesn't follow with what I was telling you earlier, right? There are several tons of plutonium in our biosphere, a legacy of at atmospheric weapons testing in the 1950s and 60s. Plutonium-238 is a vital power source for deep space missions. In practical terms, there are two different types of plutonium to be considered. 
reactor grade and weapons grade. The first is recovered as a byproduct of typically used fuel from a nuclear reactor and after the fuel has been irradiated, meaning burned, for about three years. The second, which is the weapons grade, is made specially for the military purpose and is recovered, <coughs> recovered from uranium fuel that has been eradicated for only two to three months in a plutonium production reactor. The two kinds differ in their isotopic composition, but both, both must be regarded as a potential proliferation risk and managed accordingly. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so it looks to me that the stuff from the nuclear reactor, the first one, has to be burned for about three years, right? But the second one, for military purpose, is recovered from uranium fuel that has been irradiated for only two to three months in a plutonium production reactor. So <laughs> the military one is much faster, right? Now, why is that? Um, plutonium is formed in nuclear power reactors from uranium-238 by neutron capture. So, um, and it'll go on to say a bunch of stuff about the isotopes, but more than we could deal with right this second, okay? The most common plutonium isotope formed in a typical nuclear reactor is the fissile, F-I-S-S-I-L-E, P-U-239 formed by neutron capture from U-238 followed by beta decay, and which held fission yields much the same energy as the fission of U-235. Well, over half of the pluton... This is very, very important, okay? Well, over half of the plutonium created in the reactor core is burned in situ, which means on site. I had to look that up. So over half of the kratom, created plutonium in this reactor core is created on site and is responsible for about one-third of the total heat output of a light water reactor and about 60% of the heat in a pressurized heavy water one. So right here it's saying that it's they're making the plutonium right there in the nuclear reactor. Now, unless I have this completely wrong, <laughs> because they can make the stuff so much faster, right? Okay, here we get to the latest. This is from twenty. This is from this year, <laughs> April. It came out on my birthday, April twenty seventh, twenty twenty three. Article reads. Okay, now. Article reads, U.S. resumes large-scale production of plutonium pits for nukes. During the Cold War, the U.S. produced thousands of plutonium pit detonators at the Rocky Flats plant in Colorado. Production halted in 1989 after the FBI and the EPA uncovered massive violations of environmental regulations. A small handful of pits have been produced 
at the Los, Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. A small handful of pits, okay, have been produced there. That's what they're saying, right? I'm assuming that these pits are also being done on all these nuclear reactor sites. But, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm just some idiot on the internet, so what do I know, right? <laughs> Otherwise, why would these reactor sites have dual purposes? Just do the math. Okay, reading along here. Um, the United States will resume large-scale production of plutonium pit detonators used in nuclear weapons. The National Nuclear Security Administration, NNSA, a sub-agency of the Department of Energy, is responsible for nuclear weapons, has announced. So that is the NNSA, a subdivision. So you got to figure out these groups, right? And I was over cruising around their site. <laughs> you know, it's a subdivision of the DOE. Okay, here's where it really gets good. In a new report, I found this over on the um, their website, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, that's where this copy came from. Uh, <laughs> the United States will resume the large-scale production of... Yeah, I just said that, okay. In a new report to Congress, the NNSA indicated in its 2023 Stockpile Stewardship and Management Plan includes resources to ramp up plutonium pit production to 80 units per year. And this is kind of what the Russians were also talking about, right? Okay, to reestablish, excuse me, to 80, in accordance with approval received in 2021 to reestablish for the first time since early 1990s, the capacity to produce war reserve plutonium pits to ensure the U.S. nuclear deterrent remains safe, secure, reliable, and effective now and in the future. Uh, yeah. Also, I can't get over the fact that why does the U.S. right now have double the nuclear places that China has? I mean, just kind of curious, right? Supposedly, we are 5% five, 5 of the world's population. We take over 90% of the narcotics like opioids and stuff because everybody's so fucking happy in this country. <laughs> and why do we have double the nuclear places? Why? Because probably, like I've said for years now, the U.S. is a center of evil. <laughs> They're going to take us down first and then get the rest of you. So, uh, and I'm just guessing there, okay? Just, just, just a wild guess based on studying psychopaths for 25 years. So, um, so this is a new report. 2023 Stockpile Stewardship and Management Plan. Okay? Plutonium pits, also known as plutonium cores, are a key component in both tactical and strategic nuclear weapons, serving as a trigger setting of a excuse me serving as a trigger setting off a nuclear reaction that creates a large secondary explosion of the main nuclear I don't know what that means so I think what it means is that this plutonium pit thing um, it, it makes a secondary explosion like the nuclear stuff they're doing isn't quite uranium isn't quite peppy enough right so I think they need this plutonium to make it just go off faster right faster and more out of control the 80 pits per year 
will be produced jointly at Los Alamos, the birthplace of the American nuclear bomb, and the Savannah River site outside Augusta, Georgia. See, this report is talking about Georgia, so maybe they have two places? I don't know. I just read earlier South Carolina, right? And I got this from the um, nuclear people in NSA, so let, let's go with uh, Georgia. Hey, Georgia, here you come. Okay, um, Savannah Riverside outside Augusta, Georgia. I would verify that if I were you. 30 quarters will be produced at the former and 50 at the latter. So they're saying 30 are going to be produced at Los Alamos and 50, Georgia. Uh, to meet this manufacturing capacity, production is expected to ramp up gradually with no less than 10 pits. Not less than 80 per... Well, I know why they're calling it Savannah. They were calling it Savannah when it was in South Carolina. Now they've moved it because remember, I'll have to look at this later, but I think that I think the Savannah place in South Carolina was closed. Anyway, not, not important for right now. Um, the NNSA report also shed light on a number of other nuclear weapons related plans, including a program to extend the surface life of the B-61 MOD-12 nukes, which the U.S. has stockpiled at home and across half a dozen sites abroad to address issues related to multiple components that are nearing end of life, as well as military requirements for reliability, service life, field... I don't know what that means. Um, there's other... There's these other nuclear weapons-related plans, okay, um, which the U.S. has stockpiled at home and across a dozen places. Where? I don't know. <laughs> Probably just dumped in somebody's backyard. Okay. Um, one of their tabs was, where are U.S. nuclear weapons located? The new information about the production of new plutonium cores combined with the modernization of stockpiled weapons comes amid the U.S.'s ongoing modernization of its nuclear triad, a program expected to cost taxpayers up to $1.5 trillion over the next 30 years. While scientists at Los Alamos built 31 plutonium pits between 2007 and 2013, large-scale production conducted at the far larger Rocky Flats plant, which reached, reached upwards of 1,000 to 2,000 per year during the Cold War, halted in 1989 after the FBI and EPA raided and closed the facility over a series of environmental safety violations. According to the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation, plutonium pits, which are present, in all America's estimated nuclear weapons typically have a lifespan of 100 years or more. Well, they, what they really mean is like thousands of years, right? However, they are also subject to gradual degradation and corrosion, thereby potentially affecting their efficiency. Well, <laughs> and then they want to say the 80 plutonium pits per year requirement was introduced by the Trump administration's 2018 Nuclear Posture Review with Congress allocating $1.37 billion for the job in 2020, excuse me, 2020. 
However, the Congressional Budget Office watchdog says spending to expand plutonium pit production capacity could balloon up to $9 billion over the coming five years. Well, this is all sounding like it's totally in control, isn't it? Um, so the military's frustration with Los Alamos' repeated failures is rumored to be behind the... Wait a minute, this is a good one. Okay, the military's... The military's frustration with Los Alamos' repeated failures is rumored to be behind the addition of a second production pit. And that's what they're talking about, that Savannah River one. And that's intended to make 50 pits per year. Um, yeah, MOX is a word you're looking for, M-O-X. Um, mixed oxide fuel. For some reason, they like that word X. Um, Elon Musk is always talking about X's. So, I, I don't know. It sounds to me like there is a big rush over this plutonium business, right? Um, I'm already of the nature that it looks to me like because of how quickly they can burn off the plutonium from the other. I don't know. Is plutonium now part of a, a new cheaper thing that they're pulling off of the... Um, you know, they're always pulling these things off of things as secondary uses, right? Where they got the fluoride, they got this... Um, they use everything as a secondary basis. I mean, really, where do you think they're doing with people's dead bodies in this country? You think they're really going into coffins and graveyards and stuff like that? Or are they really going into the meat production? That's a secondary use, right? You have to question all. Don't just stop at one thing. Of course they're repurposing people's bodies. Why do you think they insist on radiating our food and bleaching it? Because that would probably lower the bacteria from using real human carcasses, right? I mean, these people all connect together, and it's all about grabbing up anything they could possibly use to make themselves some money. I don't believe for a second that we had any experience with money. These people introduced money, and what a great way to control everybody, right? Um, Gary be so afraid to get more money, lose money. It's, it's, it's just this vicious cycle. Now, most kids want to become social media stars. They want to get more money. They want to get more popular. Fame and money. That all came out of Hollywood. Uh, and not a complicated plan. Get everybody to look everywhere, but right exactly where they're doing it, right in plain sight. So nuclear, to me, is their biggest thing right here in plain sight. Yeah, I'm guessing they're probably using this plutonium. It's probably something, it's probably a cheap after thing that they can burn off quickly, right? And it's probably, and I'm just going to swing a guess here, okay? I don't know this. I would have to say that if they can burn this plutonium off quicker than uranium, okay? Let's just think about this for a second here. It produces a more powerful form of uranium used in those smart meters and stuff, right? Well, if they can burn off an even higher level, um, What's that used for? To give people an extra little push of plutonium along with their smart meters? Um, and if they're finding that this more deadly plutonium is cheaper than their uranium that they're gassing us in our homes with, what do you think the odds are that they will move toward the plutonium, right? I mean, come on. They're, they're into this thing to get all these plutonium places built. <laughs> what do you think the end goal is? They want to get a higher level form of radiation, right? 
And if they can get that by plutonium, why mess around, right? Because if right now, if it takes X amount of time to kill one of us in our homes, right, you really think they're not possibly working on this plutonium as a way to kind of jack up the time frame? <laughs> it's all about money, right? <laughs> if they figured out that activating our smart meter boxes when they did early 2020, right, um, that that may be looked at as a big expense because and now they've now they're trying to get all these plutonium places because they need to well they probably are already using plutonium okay Let, let's just let's just call a spade a spade so if they get all these plutonium places approved then when people start finding plutonium around see what i'm saying they'll be able to say oh yeah we, we, we were already planning to make plutonium right <laughs> so it appears to me they could very easily already right now be making plutonium in one of these places but hey i didn't go to their school i'm not a scientist i am just trying to use my brain because it says the isotope of plutonium 239 found in used mox fuel is significantly more radioactive than the fuels depleted uranium 238 so you answer me those questions okay why is the isotope of plutonium-239 found in this MOX fuel more radioactive? Because they want a quicker killing machine? I mean, come on, we have to ask these questions, okay? And so I don't believe for a second that those people probably touch this stuff, that that clip, they always have to show a reason why these things happen, right? And it also puts in your mind, if, if somebody says, if I said, well, I think I'm getting hit with plutonium, somebody watches that clip and they'll think well she really is crazy because i saw this clip this guy touched a little bit of plutonium and he ended up okay it's kind of like the vietnamese people eating that fish so i'm gonna what i'm gonna do is i want to come back with this segment about um lula <laughs> the telenovela uh because it needs its own segment and i need to get a break in between here um because it, this lula thing he, he's, he's going to be one of the most significant players in this whole hydro deal. Um, so let me come back and the other side of that, because I think I've exhausted everything I have to say about these pits, okay? Another term, so you're looking for the NNSA, okay? I found a lot of data over on their website. Go to the NNSA and just look at those tabs right there. They'll tell you, hey, we're, we're building these new plants. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, I never set out to be a fiction writer because why would I bother? I mean, this stuff is right here in plain sight right in front of us, right? Um, so are they able to do that in these plans <clears throat> plans right now? Well, yeah, I'm guessing they already can, right? So why do they need this extra money? Well, they always want extra money for everything, right? So if they can say, well, we actually need it for these um, spaceships, right? So if people start to kick back at this um, plutonium thing they could say well what do you want to hold back the progress of space be some kind of communist we need to get to space and the way we're going to get to space is with this plutonium so of course we need all these places to produce this plutonium for <laughs> all it is is just start connecting the dots and i think plutonium is there because it's going to be a cheaper more effective killing machine aren't all of their plan plants don't they always shift to something that's cheaper and more effective well I argue right now, plutonium is their deal. So that's all I know for today about plutonium. So hang around for kind of a fun story about Lula and his sore love life.
back. This reminds me of this backing down. People say things like, well, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. A line in the sand. Now, what does that really mean? When I make a decision, I make a line in the cement. Think about it. Do you make decisions about lines in the sand or lines in the cement? Some things are just decisions that need to be made, right? Okay, let's have some fun here about Lula. Took me a while to sort this one out. As I've mentioned a time or two before, I have a real thing for looking at pictures. So, I started out over on Yandex, nosing around on pictures. There's a couple things about Lula I haven't resolved yet, but I'll tell you what they are. So, what I did notice about Lula is that, just like our old liar friend Ho Chi Minh, also known as Ho, um, they did the same thing with these word tricks, right? Because Lula had the workers' party, which indicates that he might be a worker himself, right? Ho Chi Minh did the same thing. He had the, um, let me see. Before Ho Chi Minh, it was the Prime Minister of the Empire of Vietnam. Ho became the Prime Minister of the Democratic Republic of Vietnam. Also, the first secretary of the Workers' Party of Vietnam. So I think Lulu did the same thing, called himself Worker Party, right? Okay. Um, and also, Ho was also the first secretary of the Workers' Party. I think I said that. Okay, so I did a little recap because one of them's name, he had all these wives and stuff. And then there were a couple of interesting people who, I don't know, just happened to get murdered in the story. <laughs> um, because remember, we had that woman who took over for Lula that he got to take over as president of Brazil after he couldn't run again, right? And her name was Rousseff, R-O-U-S-S-E-F-F. -F. She also then got kicked out of office for being a crook. But she's obviously landed on her feet because I found Rousseff um, on March the 24th, 2023, and we're in May 2023, Rousseff was elected as the president of the new BRICS-led New Development Bank. <laughs> I couldn't make this up. So former Brazilian president Dilma, D-I-L-M-A, Rousseff, is the president of the BRICS-led New Development Bank. And an interesting comment I found, there's a, there's a murder or two allegations that I have not chased down, okay? But one of them which I found interesting is that he is our phoenix, the most important president in Brazil's history. So let me try to explain this Lula business. The first wife supposedly died, died during childbirth, okay? And that gave, this is my opinion, that gave Lula the anger over how the poor are treated, okay? So he had this wife, first one, and she died during childbirth, and the child also died during the childbirth, okay? So then he had an affair or something in here that I kind of lost a little bit of track of, okay, with some nurse. Um, and then he has his current wife, who is the sociologist, okay? 
So we have the very first wife who died during childbirth, who probably gave him that anger for all of this, right? And then he was had something in between, but then he had <clears throat> the wife that he was married to the longest, okay? So this is a wife who was the first lady of Brazil from 2003 to 2010, okay? Her name is Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A, Leticia Lula da Silva. Okay, she, she died February of 2017. Now, before he married Marissa, Marissa had a husband who got murdered because Marissa was very young and she was pregnant and her husband got murdered, okay? Marissa was married to a man named Marcos Claudio Dos Santos before Lula, okay? But according to the story, six months after Marissa married this Marcos person, he is murdered inside his father's taxi in a robbery. Marissa was four months pregnant and her son was named Marcos. And that's the one son that Lula has named Marcos. He has an adopted son. He has three children and an adopted son. The adopted son's name is Marcos. Marcos came from the same wife that he got the other three children from, supposedly. They didn't have these children, but you, you get what I mean. So Marissa went on to have three children. But kind of interesting that the first husband of Marissa was murdered inside his father's taxi in a robbery, okay? Lula was also a customer of this taxi service, okay? And he praised, somebody praised him for the beauty of his widowed daughter-in-law. So that happened first, okay? In 1973, so then Marissa no longer is married to uh, Marcos because he was killed inside of his father's taxi, okay? But Lula was also a friend of his taxi service, right? Um, so in 73, Lula met Marissa at the Metal Workers Union. Seven months later, they married, and Lula registered their son in his name, Mark now called Marcos. So then the couple supposedly went on to have three children. So what I found interesting as far as um, um, that Ronaway person, um, what I found interesting as far as um, Marissa, she was the wife right before the current wife, okay? The current wife is a sociologist and she also has a clever name like Lula hers I believe is like Jaja or something like that I believe a hundred percent that this wife that he's married to right now is his handler okay and let me say this part before I get moving here so um, Lula married sociologist Rosa Angel Silva they got married in St. Paulo. Brazil's former president and front runner for October's elections, da Silva, <clears throat> da Silva got married in a ceremony that had a political touch as he seeks to return to the office. Yeah, <clears throat> it's staging, right? You got all those supposed criminal charges, and then they say, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe they weren't criminal charges, and then he gets married, and there's allegations of when he met this woman or didn't meet this woman. Let's just do some simple math here, okay? 
<coughs> I'm going to skip past this. The indigenous person that Lula is dragging into this is um, named R-A-O-N-I. Is the person crooked or misguided? I don't know. It's some... It's some indigenous chief from Brazil. I'm going to lay alone on that one because I really don't know. Let's get to the Lula stuff, okay? So, Lula had the first wife, married in 1969. She died in 1971, okay? I read two things. One said that she died in hepati from hepatitis in 1971, and I also read that she died during childhood. It said Lula's first wife, Maria de Lourdes de Silva, died in labor when Lula was in his 20s. Okay? And they've written books and stuff about this stuff. Um, so, this is where I got confused, but this clears it up. But they said, but she died two years later from a hepatitis infection while eight months pregnant with their first son, who also died. Lula would later say of the low-quality health care... Oh, Lula, Lula said they were victims because of the low-quality health care offered to Brazil's poor. And then along the way, he also met this nurse called Miriam Cordero, and he had a daughter. And, um, well, this daughter's name is Lurian, L-U-R-I-A-N, and you'll, you'll come up with pictures, okay? Because... I was trying to really figure out who were these wives, right? Because this one article said Lula was left distraught when his wife of more than 30 years, with whom he had four children, Marissa Leticia, died in 2017. So I was getting Marissa confused, okay? So Marissa died, um, but let me move. I don't want to, I want to make very sure I don't get this confusing, okay? Um, Marissa died um, they got married Marissa and Lula got married in 1974 okay and the first wife let me see let me scroll back here because it would be, be very easy to get confused here the first wife Maria de Lourdes supposedly died in 1971 okay so then he married had that affair with some nurse or something in between but then he married the one who was through both terms of office with him, okay? And that one is Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A. And they got married in 1974. And I've tracked down pictures. I have pictures of all this stuff. because I love looking through pictures. I, I just kind of casually got to start looking at pictures. And then I started thinking, well, why did that one wife get killed? Why, why, you know, why is that person dead? So anyway, so... Um, So, um, in 1974, Marissa met Lula, and seven months later, the two were married. Lula raised a child as his own. He had lost a son who had been born at the same time and who died in childbirth along with his first wife. And the boy soon began to call him father. Years later, at the request of Marcos, and with the agreement of the boy's paternal grandparents, Lula adopted him legally. And Marcos has all kinds of different criminal charges against him and stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to get into all that. So, But here's where, I, here's where I got 
hung up on Marissa, okay? On 24 January 2017, Marissa Leticia suffered a stroke. She died 10 days later on 3 February at the age of 66, of course, right? So, uh, this is so she died at this hospital at the age of 66 suspect already right so the per when they got marissa out of office for being a crook okay marissa followed lula into being the president president okay the interim president was a person called michael i think it's michelle or michael t-e-m-e-r okay so for a very short period marissa got kicked out for being a crook this Temer person was in charge, and then Bolsonaro came in, see how this has all worked, and now they're back to getting Lula again. So I had to kind of put together this timeline to get my brain unscrambled here. Because this President Temer declared three days of official mourning when she died on February the 3rd. And what I thought curious was this, because Jewish people have certain laws and rules about how fast a body needs to be buried and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Well, we all know they're probably not really buried bodies, right? I imagine the bodies, they get open cat. Oh, I don't even want to start thinking about that now. But anyway, so. Um, probably the reason, you know, I got I to gotta say it. You know, part of the reason why, you know, when a body goes to the morgue, it always goes refrigerated. Kind of, kind of wonder about that, right? Why do they refrigerate those bodies? Okay, so back on hand here. <laughs> So she was cremated the next day, and her ashes were interred. So why was the rush to cremate her the next day? That I don't know, but I have a suspicious mind, so it's still on my mind. I may, I may sort it out, and I may not, okay? Maybe it just means nothing. Maybe it just happened to mention she was cremated the next day. <laughs> okay, wife number three, the one he's currently married to, okay? Rosangel da Silva. Brazilian media says the couple have known each other for decades, but Lula's press service insists their armorous relationship began only at the end of 2017 during an event with left-wing artists. The relationship was only made public in May 2019, more than a year after Lula was incarcerated. So, Rosanto Lula de Silva, commonly known by her nickname, Janja, J-A-N-J-A. -A. So we got Janja and Lula, okay? A Brazilian sociologist and the first lady of Brazil as the wife of President Lula. So they allegedly began dating in, this is according to their press story, okay? I think that it's true that they probably knew each other a long time ago. But anyway, so um, they began dating in 2018 while... He was arrested at the Federal Police Headquarters in Curitiba. So supposedly they met when he was incarcerated. And Janja, very popular woman, very, very popular woman. Well, not really a woman, but you know what I mean. I have some interesting pictures of Janja and her male Adam's apple. They really have trouble with these male Adam's apples now, don't they? I guess they're just relying on people being too stupid to look, now, aren't they? So, um, interesting, this thing about the wife, which kind of backs up my point, is her likely being his handler, okay? 
Luna has suggested that as First Lady, Da Silva, or Janja, could play a role in food security programs in a country where the COVID-19 pandemic has led to increased hunger. Although highly active on social media for the Lula campaign, Janja, or Da Silva, is very discreet when it comes to her personal life, of which little is known. Imagine that. According to Veja, B-E-J-A magazine, she was married for more than 10 years before her relationship with Lula, although she does not have any children. Da Silva is very politicized. She has a good political mind and is very feminist, Lula said in September during an interview with rapper Mono Brown's podcast. During his victory speech, Janja was by Lula's side as as she was throughout his campaign. She shed tears and she wasn't alone. I cried when he jailed. Now I cry because he will take Brazil back to normal, said Claudia Marcos, a historian who joined thousands of other people to celebrate the leftist victory on San Paulo's main boulevard. He can do it. He has the charisma to do it. Yes, most psychopaths are excellent in the charisma department. Interesting quote by this Claudia Marcos. They went on to say, he is our phoenix the most important president in Brazil's history. So, many harbored suspicions that his arrest was engineered to ensure a Bolsonaro victory. Declaring himself the victim of the biggest judicial lie told in the country's 500-year history, Lula went on to describe the suffering he endured in prison from April 2018 to November 2019 when the Supreme Court ruled that defendants may remain free while their appeals are pending. Suffering? What do you mean? They said he may remain free. Lula was sentenced to 26 years after being convicted, that Operation Car Wash. Well, if you would understand this one, this one very key fact here, okay? What is it that runs through the blood of all psychopaths? Well, it is their ability to actually see themselves as the actual victim in all of these cases, okay? So they will always decry themselves the victims of all of these things. Um, and that is a very easy way to get true victims to their side because people say, oh, I had something horrible happen. Now I can bond with this person who was also a victim. See how it all starts to work? Now, there's a couple of things that I don't know about that I don't know if I'll ever know about, but there was this um, person who was murdered called Celso Daniel, C-E-L-S-O Daniel, and um, this Marcos Valerio cites Lula as one of the masterminds of Celso Daniel's death. And this is from 2019. They said that this Marcos Valero said that former PT deputy professor confided to him that Celso Daniel agreed to pay with resources from the city hall for Lula's caravan through the country before the 2013 to presidential election, but would not have agreed to hand over the administration to the action of gangs and those who aimed at personal enrichment. He also said that after paying for the blackmail of some, some other person, 
he talked about it with Lula himself. So this person allegations is that somebody died and Lula is somehow. So if you want to look for Celso Daniel and you will find somehow, I'm not going to accuse a guy of murdering him because I don't know. Um, but it said that declared he would not pay the duck alone, that he would cite President Lula as the mastermind of the death of the mayor of San Andre, Santo Andres. In Valerio's words, Ronan was going to point him out as the head of Celsus Daniel's death. Well, I don't know. Did he? I don't know. Um, and then there was this other thing which I don't know about. Luis Claudio, Lula's son, is exonerated from his position at LSF. And I don't know. Um, <laughs> the son, A-L-E-S-P, this was from 2021. One of the kids is in... Um, And then we also had um, that Rousseff person is under some sort of charges. Don't know where that's all gone. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm not going to, you know, what do I know, right? It looks to me like a... Um, so Dilma Rousseff integrated the current criminal organization since 2003 when she accepted Lula's thing to be the president. Yeah, she's, I don't know. I would have to say that this is all criminal activity, okay? And based on the fact that March the 24th, 2023, Rousseff was elected as the president of the New Development Bank. Sounds like a payoff to me, right? What did, what did Rousseff push through? Well, that mega dam, which brings me to this whole point. Why are they pushing the Belamonte Bam? Why is Lula there as so-called a man of the people <clears throat> to, I would propose, to get rid of his own people, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I feel very badly for all those people there, but... Um, oh, here was the timeline here. The president of Brazil, after Dilma, was Michael Temer, to E.R., he became president of Brazil in August 2016 after the Senate ousted Dilma Rousseff in an impeachment vote. The president of Brazil after Temer was Jair Bolsonaro. He was elected in 2018 and took office January 1st, 2019. So, Lula came after Bolsonaro. So what does all this mean? Well, I would have to say that I wouldn't trust any of these people. You're certainly welcome to make your own decisions, but it looks to me like this is a pretty major scam. <laughs> so, anyhow, um, what did I have next? I've got a bunch of open files that I'm not really sure. Um, let me take a look here real quick. Um, yeah, we got Rocky Flats. We got the um, most dams are not built for eugenics. Um, look into the dams in your own area. Um, it looks to me like dams, all of this stuff, um, getting Lula back into office is just part of the overall trick, right? Why they're so actively wanting to destroy our DNA, it must be some plot that has to do with being in the end chapter of this game board, right? Because clearly they have two goals, destroy our DNA and gain as much money as they can. Well, they cooked up the money thing, right? So, but who knows? Their own people probably all still think money is real. So, I don't know. 
if they destroy our DNA, do they think that they will then create the ne next generation of people? Well, they're pretty far off the mark, if you ask me. If anybody would understand human anatomy, you'd see that this is nothing but a freak show. Um, we've got all these freaks running around, running things, and they're all transgender. They're all greedy as heck. They're all psychopaths. And beneath all of this, they have this big plot line with the plutonium, the uranium, and all this stuff. So, hey, go figure. So I will be back um, when I certainly can. And be safe out there, and goodbye for now.